It's time for Travel Banter, your favorite chit-chat podcast with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim. So many aviation movies in this world, and I'm sure you've watched all of them, right? You know, it's up in the air, and The Terminal has got to be one of those, right? So you've got The Terminal, you've got Airplane. Is it Airplane? Oh, yes. Classic. Up in the air. Yep. What are some other good ones? I mean, Passenger 57 is not really that good. I, I like Passenger 57. It's an action, but it's not like, I mean, it's it's sort of like the Liam Neeson uh, hijacked plane one. Yeah, not, that's another one, nonstop, right? Like that's another aviation movie, right? Well, and then playing with Gerard Butler, but that's not really. Yeah, I, I think it's funny that you bought that. I, I think you bought that because you realize you're never going to see it on the airline, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. When you told me you were watching that and you had bought it, I was like, of course he did. That, that makes total sense. Because you know what? I imagine that you are a consumer of movies on airplanes more than your average Joe. Oh, absolutely. I say that because I'm probably in that category too. Oh, absolutely. In all fairness, we'll probably watch it again, but I'm not sure that it's an amazing movie. Like the next time we'll watch it is when you're in town. Okay. I will watch it. But I mean, I think I think you've got a special affinity for Gerard Butler. I'm saying more than anybody I've ever met, I think. Yes, yes. But he doesn't have that many films that fall into the aviation geek realm, unfortunately. I don't know that he has any films that fall into the aviation geek world. The movie Plane? Other than that one. pilot? (laughs) No, no. I'm saying other than that one. I mean, you know, he's, he's either like, what, running away from like this or that or the other thing asteroids. He got shot out of the sky in a hell in Marine One once. Yeah, but that's Secret Service. It's it's not he wasn't he wasn't piloting the chopper. I feel like they should do an Air Force One remake with him in it. Oh. I think that would be really Air good. Air Force One reboot with Gerard Butler. We should be producers. We should be executive producers. I, I can see it now. This will be the, the elevator pitch it's like imagine Air Force One only Gerard Butler. <laughs> You could get Stanley Tucci as one of the cabinet, you know, one of the National Security Council. Now you're an executive producer, you're a casting member, you know, you're a casting producer. <laughs> you are just multi-talented, my friend, multi-talented, multifaceted. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another another aviation movie that I've watched recently, believe it or not, is View from the Top. Have you ever watched this movie? I've never even heard of it. You've never heard of it? It's got like Gwyneth Paltrow in it. It's got Ooh. like Mark Ruffalo. It's got... It's like Marvel re- revisioned. Christina Applegate. You know, it's funny. It's one of these movies that was created before 9-11. Oh, wow. Okay. And they, ha- they had it in the can for like two years because they didn't want to release it. Number one, it wasn't that great a movie, but they probably wanted to release it quite a bit earlier, but it just happened to coincide with 9-11 when, when it was in, I guess, post-production. And... The funny thing is I bought this audiobook from this comedian and this audiobook is all about him retelling this obscure movie from like 2000 and, and like three or something. It's, it, I was like, and I, I bought this, you know, audible, you know, I was going through audible, you know, cause you know, Amex got rid of it. Right. So I was like all these Amex credits. Right. So I was just constantly buying audiobooks, and I, I just bought this one and I was, you know, I was buying a bunch of aviation focused ones. And so I bought this one and I didn't even know what it was about. And I started listening to it and I realized he's recanting the view from the top movie that I've watched back like 10 years ago or something. And I'm like, oh, I guess I got to buy that. And I ended up buying that on Amazon too, so I could rewatch it so that I could enjoy this audiobook that I bought. I'm going to have to watch it now. I'm going to have to find time to. I think you are going to have to. I'll have to give you my login for Amazon so you can watch it. 
There we go. We'll swap Amazon logins or something. <laughs> Sounds like a deal. And then, oh, we can't forget the Indris Elba one. Oh, that's right. Hijack, right? Hijack. I haven't yeah, seen I, it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I thought it was actually very good. I thought it was very well done. Yes, I will just say I thought it was very well done. I mean, I'm not going to say it was out of this world. And there was definitely some things that were little suspect from, I'll say, the uh, interior cabin. But I thought it was very well done for what it was. And that's on Apple TV, right? Was that British Airways again? Was he in a British Airways cabin? No, it was first class was British Airways. Oh, man, I'm trying to think. Business class was definitely not British Airways. Oh, okay. I think business class was like Swiss or I can't remember if it was the staggered like like Swiss does or the staggered like what, because there's like the two different types of the staggered. Right. The ones with the throne seats versus the ones that are like on Delta or something. Yeah. I think that's what it is because I think Delta doesn't do throne seats. Yeah. Delta just does, you know, it's binary. It's either you're on this side or you're on that side, you know, because it's all pairs, right? And the throne seats are where you have like three, right? Where there's like, I'm sorry, or it's interleaving, right? It's like two, one, two, one, two, one. Yeah. Now I have to look at images. Because you're going to you're gonna sweat those small details. Oh my God, it's going to bug me. That's, that's what it takes. That's what it takes to be in this league. It, it truly is. Oh, and none of the good photos have, they have all the business class or they have all first class, which is definitely the British Airways. Mm. It actually you, looks like it's the old British Airways. Yeah. Search. Like with the kind of khaki-ish. Did you watch all of The Flight Attendant on HBO or whatever it was? Uh, yeah. How many seasons do they have now? I don't know. There might have been two or something. I think I watched like the first two episodes and then I got tired of it. I don't think I ever, I didn't ever finish it. I watched all the first season. Okay. I don't know if I got through all the second season. So it, the problem is, is like it gets pegged as like a aviation movie, but it's really just a drama that just happens to be centered around a flight attendant. Like there's not a lot of plane time, period. I mean, there's some travel, which is fun, but like season two is even less travel. It's like really, really bad. I thought, I don't even think I got through it. So I shouldn't say it's really bad, but it's just. Yeah. I might take my time on that one. Maybe when I really have nothing else to watch. I have another movie that I purchased. It's some obscure French movie with Jean Renault and I forget who the lady is. She's also relatively famous. It's called like jet lag. It's just fun to see the B-roll because all this like these airplanes taking off and landing at, at Charles de Gaulle. And you see all these liveries from like the early 2000s. You know, like you say, oh, I haven't seen that JAL livery in, in ages. I haven't seen that Air France livery in, in, in a long time or whatever it is. That sounds kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You might have to check that out too. And it's called jet lag. I should watch it when I'm, I'm up at 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, it might put you to sleep. But it's funny, it's it's a French movie, but it's only dubbed. For some reason, you can't watch it. And I would much rather watch it in French with English subtitles than kind of here. But the funny thing, it's Juliette Binoche and Jean Renault, who are both well-known for speaking English, you know, being French people in English movies. So they actually did their own dubbing, which is probably why it's acceptable. But I think I'd rather hear them speak French and, and read English than, even though these are well-known French actors that happen to, you know, act pretty frequently in English productions. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I cannot find a photo of what the business class seat is of hijack. I'm going to literally have to watch an episode again. It's going to bug me. I need to, I need to watch that one. Is Idris Elba in another, he's not in another plane aviation movie. Wait, 
who's in plane? Is it Gerard Butler and who's the other antagonist protagonist in plane? Because it's another African American person, isn't it? It's not Idris Elba. I don't believe oh, so. It's not Idris Elba. Okay. Let me see. Because he's a f- a little familiar, but like he's not the. Okay, I couldn't remember because I had been it been a while since I watched that trailer, and literally I was thinking, oh, this is not going to be on an airplane, will it? Mike Coulter. Does that sound familiar? Mike Coulter. Hmm. He pl- he plays Luis Gaspar. Is he like the criminal or something? Yeah, he, I think he's the guy that was the that's on the plane, and now he has to like defend. He has to defend the plane with with Gerard Butler. Yeah, I don't want to ruin it for everybody. But well, I mean, yes. it's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. Okay, that, yeah. I've only watched the trailer. He's a criminal, and he ends up helping. Which is is actually pretty tropey, you know. Like it's not like if I, if somebody were to explain to me this movie and give me the premise, I probably could have guessed that plot point. Yeah, I mean that's a fair point. That's totally a fair point. I don't know. I thought it was good. Like not good, good. Like watch it ten times. And really, Gerard Butler is like the only notable name. You know, a lot of the movies have like somebody you recognize. I mean, maybe Mike Coulter is is sort of. That name sounds somewhat familiar. Like, I'm sure he's in a bunch of movies and you probably watched one of them and you just don't know his name by heart. Yeah. Like he's got the familiar face. Yeah. Exactly. Did you watch any of the like really old, like airport, like airport 77 and airport 79? And have you watched any of those old, old ones? I have not. The ones that kind of inspired airplane because there were all these like kind of disaster airport movies in like the seventies, right? And then, you know, you had Airplane coming out in the 80s, and they were kind of lampooning some of that, along with other stuff. Yeah, I have not. I don't know. There's a lot of content, but there's also no content. And when there's no content, I just have to remind myself that there are these good classics out there. I don't know if it's a great movie. It probably isn't, but I get a dig out of watching these kind of time capsules of aviation. They are interesting. Because you basically, the movie starts out with Charlton Heston on a Dulles Airport mobile lounge. Mm. Basically coming off the mobile lounge and kissing this lady, this flight attendant. That's like the beginning of the movie. And and you get to basically see like Dulles in the 70s, you know, doing the mobile lounges from like the main terminal. And this is. I think it's like airport 70s. It's like the middle one. It's like. and, And the funny part is they're on the red eye special. And the red eye special is leaving Dulles to go to L.A. in the evening. Any problems there? Oh, geez. So the red eye is going westbound because that's how it works, right? Totally. Well, I mean, in all fairness, you're going to be like completely red eye by the time you turn around and head to Europe, which is what a true red eye is. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil, but basically they're on a jumbo jet and it like collides and the pilots are blinded. So there's no pilot on this plane. That's what the setup is for the disaster. Wow. Okay. Still worth watching. And actually there's a movie called Red Eye too. I think that's like a horror movie. With Cillian Murphy, the guy from Oppenheimer. He's a baddie. I just can't do horror movies. Like, even if they're aviation related, I just can't do horror movies. I guess it's more of a thriller, but, you know, he's kind of, he's he's like a psychopath. And Rachel McAdams is, is the woman Ooh. that has well, to I mean, survive. Okay. Rachel could get folks. I mean, she's actually a pretty decent actress. I like most of the Rachel McAdams stuff that I've watched. She's good in a lot of stuff. She is. She is. So I think I think we've we've pretty much killed aviation movies, which is I know that's probably more interesting to me. But we yeah, we we probably talked it to death. I think I have some some homework. I think I have some homework. Oh good. 
But but to tell you the crazy, so this is the definition of complex itinerary, right? Is that is that what this was? This is not just a definition of complex. This is oh, okay. This is next level, next level complex. No, no, no. I will say this is unconventional complex. Oh, unconventional complex. Okay. I mean, maybe not even as complex. Just you're unconventional. really talking this up. Like, am I am I going to listen to this and I'm going to be like, so. Oh God! No, oh, no! Now I'm nervous. Oh, so, such high expectations. I did it to myself. Okay, so, so so here we go. We've got our Etihad first class to Abu Dhabi. Then we've got a uh, business class to KL Kuala Lumpur on Etihad. On Etihad, yeah, only a three four hour layover. Then we have two nights in Kuala Lumpur. And this is one of those things where, like, if we were to release this, we'd probably release this privately on the uh, Mylonomics Slack feed because I don't want to put my Hyatt concierge. Actually, I'm not even going to say that because I don't want to. You don't have to give her name, you know. You just say her yeah, name. Yeah. I don't want to set an expectation for people that the concierges will do this sort of thing. Needless to say, we're staying at the Grand Hyatt. We were able to apply an instrument to be able to be in a, in a suite. I'll say it that way. So we've got two nights at the Grand Hyatt KL. Then we fly on, I actually have to check. It's either MH or AirAsia or something. I can't even remember what airline. It's like not a standard airline that we're flying down to Singapore. Give me like 30 seconds because I need to figure out what that... It's Malaysia Air. Okay. So it's it's Malaysia Air booked with Capital One. Okay. So essentially revenue ticket. It is a revenue ticket. Yes. Yeah. So we've got that. And then used American Express Platinum Hotel credit for the, I think it's the Mariner Oriental or Shangri-La. Oh, well, they probably have one of each of those in, in Singapore. I've stayed at yeah. the Mandarin Oriental. No, no, no. Mandarin Oriental was too expensive. So we went with Shangri-La, Singapore, which is, I think, okay. off of Scotts Road. It's like in that area near the Grand Hyatt or where the now closed renovating Grand Hyatt is. Okay. It's uh, a few blocks from is the St. Or- Regis. Orchard Road or is it near Orchard Road? Yeah, I think it's a few blocks away from Orchard Road, but I think it's up by Scott's over by the Newton Hawker Market. You know how like you walk up a few blocks from the Grand Hyatt and you've got that Newton Hawker Market? Yeah, Newton Newton one's not, yep. Yeah. yeah, so we're there and then we fly Scoot. Oh, interesting. Never flown Scoot before. Never flown Scoot before. Hey, where where was all this talk? You know, when we're 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 talking Mr. Premium over here, and he's he's flying MH and uh wait, are you flying MH business to Singapore? It's an hour and ten flight. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say it's economy. Did you, yeah. See, like even you I told you it was non conventional or, or unconventional. But I mean, you know, I think even you have the understanding that a one hour flight does not need to be in a premium class because it's so damn short. I agree 100%. Actually, I need to look to see. I paid for my daughter to have her own seat on the uh, one hour and 10 flight. (laughs) I don't know why, actually, in hindsight, because it's only an hour and 10 minutes. But I mean, it was just so cheap. And the other thing was, I think Mm -hmm. I had a lot of the rewards left from Capital One. Capital One. Like, you know how like they give you the freebies? Mm. Oh, the one you have to use the portal to book. Yeah. Yeah. So I booked it through the portal. And then let's see. I booked Scoot. That's an hour and a half flight. To go to uh, where? Like Linkawi? To go to Linkawi. Yeah. Okay. Singapore to Linkawi. I think I'm on the same one as Jeff and his family. And that was only SGD 241. Okay. I think that was everybody. So you're basically flying through Singapore to get to Malaysia from Malaysia. 
But we're doing a night in Singapore to catch up with friends. Okay, yeah. And then we do, so we've got on points, or no, 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 it was a free night, free Marriott night, plus points at the St. Regis in Langkawi. And then we have a night that we booked with another American Express <laughs> Platinum uh, hotel credit because I just haven't used them, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, we're getting to the end of the year and I've, I've got like, I've still got two more I got to use. I booked a Shangri-La in, in Sydney on my FHR. So believe me, I'm doing the same thing. And then I have another FHR at the Intercontinental in Sydney. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. So after the FHR at the Four Seasons, then we have three nights that we booked with Michael Traeger and Travels Orc. And those guys are great. I mean, Michael and his team got us a great rate at the time. I think closer in, the rate went down, but he pretty much said, look, you can do refundable or non-refundable. You can pay 100 or $200 more per night to have refundable, and it may or may not work out. And I said, you know what, let me take the, you know, burden the hand. And so I did that and they did a lot of pre-coordination. They even ensured that the hotel was linking our FHR resort or, or FHR one night with the rest. And so they really did a great job for us. Then we fly Air Asia from Langkawi via, I have to check whether it's KLIA, whether it's Kuala Lumpur Terminal 2. And then we fly from Kuala Lumpur into get this. And I'm not even going to say it right. Don Mong? Oh, yeah. You're going to Bangkok. Yeah, Bangkok. Is it Don Mong? I may have actually flown that flight, believe it or not, on AirAsia. So we've got that. Again, AirAsia, different experience for us. And then we have a night in Bangkok. Uh, is there a city in, in Southeast Asia you're not going to? Maybe that'd be easier. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're not getting into any Vietnam. We're not getting into any Indonesia. Yeah, apparently Vietnam is uh, is saying, where's my Trevor? You know, I mean, Vietnam is like, Trevor keeps threatening to come to us. He, he like flies around us. He flies through us, but he never ends up landing. His feet never touch the ground. And I want to get there so badly. Vietnam, you're on my list. I think the Vietnam's like, what do we do? Like, we're, we're insulted. Like, what does Trevor have against the Vietnamese? I don't get it. I think it's the visa. <laughs> I think it's the visa. No, I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are other 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 countries with visas. I mean, the, the Australia visa is just probably just about as much trouble as the Vietnam visa at this point. Yeah, but I went through the trouble of getting, you know, sending our passports in to the Vietnam embassy like 10 or 15 years ago. They don't do it that way anymore. I didn't get to use the passport or the visa. And I just, I don't know. I, I know they don't do it anymore like that, but I, I just... It makes me sad, but I'm going to get to, we're going to get to Da Nang. I mean, we almost have to with that airport code. But I, I stray, this was a little bit of a tangent, back to Don Wong and Bangkok. What, what are you doing after that? Yes. So we're using another FHR Amex Plat $200 credit to stay at the Waldorf Astoria. So now we're staying at- Oh, interesting. At the Waldorf Astoria. Like that's the one you picked, huh? Of all the options in Bangkok. Well, I think that's in the similar area to where like the Grand Hyatt is. Like, I think it's relatively close to that. It's like near Erewhon or whatever. Yeah, near Erewhon. And I like that area. Remember, we stayed at Sukhumvit Marriott. That was actually the first time I stayed in Sukhumvit. And I'm not that big a fan, to be completely honest. Nor was I. And so I went to what I know, but I wanted to stay at a new hotel. And I hate to say it, the price was right for the Waldorf Astoria. I think the Park Hyatt was a little bit more. And I just I just wanted to try something new. We've never stayed at a Waldorf Astoria. 
A lot of people talk highly about it. Hold, 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 hold. News breaking, news breaking. <laughs> you've never stayed at a Waldorf Astoria? No. That's like me, you saying you've never stayed at St. Regis, because I was also blown, blown away by a couple years ago that you'd never stayed at one of those either. And the first Conrad I, I've ever stayed at, actually the only Conrad I've ever stayed at was when we, we traveled to Vegas to stay at the uh, Resorts World. Wow. I have not stayed at a ton of premium hotels outside of my kind of core loyalty, but the Hilton Aspire opens up Hilton. And so, you yes, know, I'm trying, yes, I'm trying these new, new hotels. I mean, to be honest with you, the, the St. Regis, I equated the St. Regis very similar and, and probably wrongly so, or maybe not to the Ritz. And I had such a bad experience with Ritz. Ritz just does not make sense to me in 2023. Like who, who is the Ritz client? Like who are these people who like Ritz Carlton? Because there just must be so many old snooty people in the world that are just used to what they're used to. That don't want elite recognition. They don't want all the benefits that you get with a St. Regis or a JW Marriott. Like I just don't understand the Ritz brand. I don't get it at all. I don't know if it's name recognition, like people know that a Ritz-Carlton is supposed to be good, so they can kind of just sit on their laurels, kind of, so to speak. But yeah, it's, it's funny how St. Regis is pretty much an equivalent brand in many ways in the same company, and yet is so much better from just all aspects than, than Ritz-Carlton, at least of the ones I've stayed. It's not like I've never been to Ritz-Carlton either. I've stayed at some. I mean, I haven't stayed one in a couple of years, probably, but you know, I'm not really you know, itching to do it because I, I just don't see what the what the value proposition is. And I'm right there with you. Yeah. So unconventional, right? And then we fly back to Abu Dhabi and we've got just a random overnight. I'm actually tempted to use an FHR there too, even though I'll get no value out of it. <laughs> it's like, hmm, do I spend three or 12 or 15,000 points? I was looking at my photo, old photos and, you know, I, my first time to Abu Dhabi, probably 2013, 14, something like that. And we stayed at the Fairmont and uh, that was actually an amazing stay. And it was so cheap. It was so inexpensive. It was actually incredible. We had like a gold level room, which is their club level. And I remember it was only like $70 or $80 or something like that. A massive, like more than thousand square foot suite plus club level access. I remember we went to the mall next door and had some Chinese food and that bill for the Chinese food was more than what I paid for that Fairmont. I don't know if that's something to be happy about or to cry about, though. Well, I mean, I guess it implies that Chinese food is expensive and luxury hotels are cheap, which I think are both true in Abu Dhabi. That's fair. That's fair. I have barely spent any time in Abu Dhabi. Every time I tend to spend there, I'm literally like, go to the hotel and then early flight out the next day. Like, I've yet to spend any meaningful time. I haven't got to any of the tourism. Yeah, I, I, neither have I, actually. I mean, we I probably haven't spent more than 24 hours in Abu Dhabi ever. Oh, I'd be surprised if I got to 18 hours. Because if I fly into Abu Dhabi, I get out of Dubai. You, you know, have have spent enough time in Dubai and still haven't seen everything. But I, I don't know. Abu Dhabi has some nice hotels, though. I mean, I, we stayed at the Park Hyatt in Abu Dhabi. I've wanted to stay there. Actually, it's it's funny that you say that because we had 36 hours planned on the way home from our Maldives trip. And we ended up rebooking on the Virgin as, as we kind of covered previously. Mm -hmm. We were actually going to spend that time at that Park Hyatt. What is it? Al Sadiat Island? Yep. I think that's the one, right? I think that's the one I've stayed at. Yeah. It looks gorgeous. It, it is. I remember the upgrade I got was just amazing. I don't even know if I used a sweet upgrade or not, but 
we ended up getting like a corner like terrace suite that was just massive and like the balcony or the terrace was oh god it was like the roof of you know i don't know a parking lot or something we had something similar to that in the grand hyatt doha which i actually really liked that hotel other than the fact that the suite they put us in was right over the nightclub which was just unacceptable <laughs> we got no sleep that night oh that sucks but yeah i, I mean a lot of nice hotels there you know what my biggest problem with the Middle East luxury hotels are? There's one key critical thing that I found in every Middle Eastern UAE luxury five-star hotel that is universally true. Oh, my God. That degrades my experience. Okay. So, effectively, that's two choices. It's either A, no Diet Coke, or B, poor air conditioning. No. Actually, it's neither of those things. <laughs> neither of those things. Oh, no. No, okay. it is is that I, I I enjoy good buffet breakfast and they only have beef bacon. There's no there's no poor products. Oh, I can totally see that. Yeah. So it's it's always these very poor breakfast meats, which otherwise are these stellar buffet breakfasts. But it's always disappointing because I go there and I'm like, oh, I, uh, oh, this bacon looks delicious. I have it. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, this is not pork, and it tastes horrible. <laughs> you know that used to never bother me mm -hmm. when we were in Egypt. Some of their meats that like we're trying to, you know, I like my ham, right? Like I, okay. I like my mm -hmm. ham. I like my prosciutto in the morning. If there's ham, I, sometimes I'll even make a breakfast sandwich with ham. So they'll have pastrami, right? They'll have, because that's beef, right? But they won't have ham. They won't have prosciutto. Oh, some of this stuff looked even worse. I mean, like, like some of this stuff just looked so gamey. I think they called it beef, but it looked camel. And in all fairness, if they said it was camel, I probably would have had it just to try it. And you probably would have given it a better rating. Yeah, but I mean, I tried some of this stuff and I could, I mean, at least one piece of whichever it was, I, I just couldn't even swallow. That's my challenge. Like you you are, are bacon. Me, I just like the, you know, the sliced meats. It's just something you come, you become accustomed to. Like it's like, it's part of the, the expectation of ha being at a, a five-star Western branded hotel that, you know, there's certain things that you're going to have, you know, as part of your, your breakfast regime. And it's funny, like you're you're at the Park Hyatt in the Maldives, right? They cure their own bacon. Like I think they bring their own pork and and like pork belly. And they'll, they'll cure it and they make it there because, you know, you can't have that stuff in the rest of Maldives because it's a Muslim country. Oh, yeah. Continuing on that non-secular. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. At the JW Marriott in Cairo, they don't allow kids in the lounge at any time. Not breakfast, not any time. I almost can support that a little bit, to be completely honest. Well- Here's why I can support it, because where they do the breakfast for everybody, mm -hmm. they do a little evening meal. Alcohol flows freely. They do two nights. They do a buffet. Not amazing. Mm -hmm. And then every other night, the remaining five, they do a plated meal. You get a soup. You get a meal that I think they had like salmon, like scallops, that potatoes. Like much, that seems like a really nice uh, steak, substitute. These are for the families, essentially? Yeah. And like a little... Middle Eastern pastry or a samosa. Samosa is not Middle Eastern. It was something similar. And then dessert was some red velvet. Now, we were the only family that like truly was a family. There were a couple of kids that were down there or like an older sister and, and her younger sister. And then the father like came down, I guess, from the lounge just to check on them. Mm -hmm. Like we were the only total family that were down there. And don't get me wrong, the plated meal was not amazing, right? but the fact that they did it, I found that was an innovative approach, and I really enjoyed that part. 
Well, you know, and the thing is, you know, in the Middle East, I think families traveling is so much more common. Not that people don't travel as families in the U.S., but I just think it's even more common than it is here in the U.S. Because there's probably more of that kind of travel than maybe even just business travel, right? There's probably more large families or groups of people uh, traveling together. If that's the case, I feel like they'd be more accommodating like like what you see, you know, in Bali, for example. I mean, you could go either way, right? Like a friend of mine went to the Hyatt Regency Aqaba in Jordan and no kids allowed, no alternative. That's surprising. That's surprising. What they allowed him to do was go into the lounge, grab a drink, grab desserts, and then take them out. That was the limit of what they let him do. I mean, if you look at what the old Grand Hyatt Singapore used to do, that I think was probably the best, similar to what the JW, right? The Grand Hyatt Singapore, before they went to renovation, and I hope they'll, they'll open because I really want to do it, uh, you know, visit them. They had adult only in the lounge. And I don't know if it was adult only in the evening. I think it was evening, it was adult only. But then they did, down by the pool, they did like a little barbecue sort of for families. Now, I never went down there, so I, I assume they had drinks and, you know, sufficient food offerings because that lounge was just fantastic. I mean, you've been there. That lounge, you could have a full meal. You were very comfortable up there. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was I was in Acapa, you know, and we we stayed at the Intercontinental. And I paid up into the lounge at the Intercontinental. I, I, did, the, I did the upcharge because we were just in a regular room. And there was hardly anybody in the lounge. Like, it's actually, it was great. That lounge attendant was amazing, so friendly. Very talkative. Like they were so excited to speak English with us. <laughs> and they, I think that lounge was set up so that there were all these like kind of really separated areas so that if there was a family, they would really kind of be separate from everybody else. So so it probably wouldn't have been that big a deal because you could almost have everybody almost have their kind of their own balcony that they could sit out at eating their food, drinking their drinks. And they had enough of them that, you know, you, you really, I mean, there were only like probably five people in the lounge, including the lounge attendant. And that's interesting because that sounds like such a better approach than I think the Grand Hyatt in Beijing mm-hmm. and the Grand Hyatt in Seoul both had family lounges on one side. So like, you know, you walk down the hall. I think they just have areas where they're, yeah, they have just like separate rooms where there's more self-contained, right? That's probably the better option if you ask me. Yeah, because otherwise you feel like a second-class citizen. I mean, like I literally felt like a little bit of a second-class citizen. Here we are, we're down in the lobby restaurant or the garden cafe, whatever it's called. And yeah, we're getting pretty decent service. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. They're bringing all the beverages to me versus me having to make my own beverage. And there's like two guys to service five of us, you know, other than them just chilling on our phones. It was pretty decent service and everything, but it still feels like, oh, you can't come in here. And that just gives you a little bit of a stigma. Yeah. But, you know, I think there's, there's a little bit of a balance because, you know, we've also been in some of these lounges where I'll be honest, some people have been a little like they've not had the best etiquette with kids. Oh, that's true. And they're kind of like making a mess. I, I, I almost think, you know, the lounge in Rio felt like that a little bit at one point. Remember the Grand Hyatt in, that we were just at? Yeah, yeah, in Rio. I, like I felt at least one part of that evening, you know, there was probably some some family that came in. I was like, you know, they're not particularly, what is it, low impact. They're, they were being quite loud and, and I think the kids were kind of just like going all over the place. Yeah, that's true. And the funny part is, is I haven't spent enough time in South America to know whether that's a common thing. Like I feel like in the Middle East, sometimes that's actually kind of common. Yeah, and, and that's part of the sensibilities is like, you know, I think different cultures will have – 
more of a stigma. I would imagine in Japan, you're not going to get that. Yeah, that's probably true. The Japanese are like all about like, you know, you don't, you don't talk, you don't listen to music, you make no noise on the subway, right? You know, it's like, that is a public space. You are not to impose on other people's ears in that space. And I think that's a really valid point. I mean, Singapore is another interesting one. The JW there specifically says no kids allowed it in the evening. We opted not to stay there because of it. Yeah, Singapore's another, you know, they're, they're big on their rules, right? You know, that's another culture where it feels like they're about enforcing certain things that we're not used to. I mean, you say that, but like, we're both children of the 80s, 90s, where we remember the the chewing gum and- Yeah, and the caning. Yes. And yes. so, there was a lot of stigma of Singapore. And I had some trepidation the first time I went. And then I got there and I'm like, whoa, what's the big deal? Like, and and a lot of our, like, like my family was like, oh, you're going to Singapore. Make sure you don't do anything. Like, you know, don't even step on the cracks on the sidewalk. And you get there and it's like a very normal country. Like, you just act like a normal human being and, you know, it seems pretty reasonable. Well, that's the thing is like, I think it's great if you're a normal human being. I think the problem is, is like you stray from the normality just a little bit and you're going to get your hand slapped. Yes. Or worse. Or worse. Which some people might like. Some people may be okay with that. And I think the Singaporeans are okay with that because they said, okay, well, I'm giving up some stuff, but you know what? In totality, this place is pretty nice. So I'm okay with that. I would gladly accept the occasional ruler on my hand in the event that I made a mistake with my mobile device on speaker in a uh, in an airline lounge if everybody else had to succumb to the same fate. I, I agree. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe people who are using speakerphone in an airline lounge should be caned. That's probably worse than the chewing gum. Yeah, I kind of think so. <laughs> but, but but you know what? It's probably good that we're not the ones dealing such punishment. Yeah, we're we're not dictators of of any island states that I'm aware of. So I don't see any of these rules coming to a city state near you anytime soon. Oh gosh, could you imagine some of the groups that we frequent on Facebook? Oh my God. These are governments I would not want to be part of. I wonder what the punishment would be for their feet on a bulkhead. Oh, I don't know. Bare feet? Bare feet or shoes or shoes. I think think people feel strongly both ways. And you're right. I I probably would generally avoid putting my, my feet up there. How about putting your bare feet on the armrest of the person in front of you? I think that's more egregious. I think that's more egregious. I I think that's why the, is it the 727 that has the aft stairs? I think you put your bare foot on somebody's armrest in front of you. I think you do a DB Cooper without the parachute and without the bag of jewelry. Maybe that's a little aggressive, but uh, Uh, that's pretty gross. That that might be slightly asymmetric punishment, perhaps. And. I wonder how many people know who D.B. Cooper is and, and the story of D.B. Cooper. I think a lot of people know, and I, I'm definitely one of the people who knows that he jumped out of a Northwest Airlines 727 over Oregon. I didn't know it was Northwest, but I knew it was over the West Coast. Yes. I think it was over Oregon. And the rumor, of course, was that he had a parachute. I mean, he was never found. Yeah. It's still unsolved. Still unsolved to this day. It's an interesting thing. There's a book, and I have to find it. I think there's a lot of books about D.B. Cooper. Well, it's not just D.B. Cooper, but there was a period of time where hijackings were just so incredibly frequent. Well, that's the time before they had metal detectors at airports. Yeah, but I think there was some other stuff going on too, because like you had a handful of hijackers that wanted to go to Cuba. And so like they'd hijack the plane, 
you know, regardless of whether they were trying to get money and they were like, I want to go to Cuba and you're going to find me there. It's interesting how people forget about pre 9-11, you know, how, how different the world was. And of course, now we, we are old enough that we can remember 9-11, but there were people who weren't born when 9-11 happened. And this will, you know, you know, obviously date me as an old person nowadays. Both of us. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting how much the world changed and we've almost forgotten. Like it's, it's almost like the communal memory of how the world operated prior to 9-11. There wasn't any security theater. And we were just talking about the other day, you know, like how you could walk up to the gate and get your ticket. That was a normal thing or that was a convenience that the airlines thought, oh, well, if you're carrying on bags, I mean, you just go through security, go right up to the gate and they'll print out a ticket for you. Well, remember the old days of Southwest, you'd get there and they'd give you like a brown or a red or whatever color boarding pass. And like each flight would have a different color plastic boarding card. And like they gave you that, you got to the gate, you know, when you're boarding, you hand that over. That's all you got. <laughs> I mean, it was literally like. Did they use like reusable boarding passes or something? Yeah, they were reusable boarding cards. How very eco. It was the weirdest thing. Even at the time, it was really weird to me. But that was also when you had the little club seats. The facing? The ones the ones that face each other? Yeah, you could face each other. You know, I was w- watching something and they were talking about how Southwest Airlines was the number one distributor of liquor. Oh, I love that one. In the state of Texas. Have you ever seen that? Because remember, they would give out, they, that that was the perk that they would give like a liter of your favorite beverage. Or I'm sorry, Wild liquor, turkey. Wild, wild turkey. turkey. With every seat. Like that was their incentive to try to get passengers. Well, remember, that was still when the cab was working, right? And so they had to convince people yeah, exactly. somehow to because pay more price, for a seat. Right? Because it was regulated. It was it was another thing that you forget about, pre-deregulation. Like, And I'll have to say, I didn't really fly before deregulation because, you know, I'm not that old. <laughs> but it's interesting how that's another sea change or step change in the way that aviation worked. It was deregulation and then it's 9-11. Those are the two major milestone seminal events in in aviation. And that impacted international as well, right? Remember KLM and the uh, Vundal, uh, the, 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 the houses, I can't remember. The, the, the Delft houses? The Delft houses, right? The US airlines went after KLM saying, you can't give alcohol to go. You can't give anything leaving the aircraft effectively, or you can't, you can't give a gift to incentivize passengers or customers to book with you instead. And their response was something to the effect of, well, we're just giving them a drink for the road. Yeah. We're giving them an alcohol mini. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's interesting how much times have changed and we should probably go into that more deeply at some point in the future. But I do still get a kick out of the fact that just as you said, Southwest was the biggest distributor of alcohol. You know, it's those small little things with that triangle route, right? The back of the napkin, right? It was in a Dallas, Houston, and it was it was it Austin or was it San Antonio? I think it was Austin. It was probably Dallas, Austin, Houston. Probably that was the triangle, right? And it was Houston Hobby and Dallas Love Field. And the idea was is that they were delivering people in such a way that you know business class travelers might pay a little bit more to to fly them and bring that liquor home with them, but that any business traveler could start out in Dallas, go for meetings in Houston. And be home that evening. Right. You, you know, which, I mean, when you think about it, that had to have been a pretty groundbreaking move in what, the 70s, right? I mean, to think that you could travel and 
you know, go to your meetings and then come home in, obviously we weren't traveling at that time. Nowadays, yeah. Could you fly up to New York? Well, okay. New York's a bad example because- It's not the flying that's going to take all the time. <laughs> right. New York's a bad example because it's not the flying that's going to take all the time because the airports are just crap. Well, nowadays with maybe with Blade or something like that, maybe maybe that is a thing now. Well, yeah, but then you're spending significantly more dollars, right? I mean, Blade's like 150 bucks one way. That's true. But, you know, back in the 70s, if you were doing that Houston-Dallas route on Southwest and you were paying what the Civil Aviation Board would expect you to pay for that flight, it's probably more expensive than flying from D.C. to LaGuardia and, and or, one, or Newark or whatever and taking Blade. Like, it's probably more expensive what that business person from the 1970s was paying, even on Southwest. Yeah, we'll have to look more into that. I yeah, am maybe that's maybe that's a little research the, uh, we'll have to do. Figure out what the inflation-adjusted flight cost would have been from from Dallas to Houston back in the seventies on on Southwest. Well, if we ever publish this episode, we can declare that we will do some follow up and hopefully update in in a couple of episodes. You know, as far as like rambling, freeform <laughs> consciousness kind of episodes go, it's not a terrible one. You know, considering it it all happened organically. Yeah, this is actually kind of fun one. Gosh, I think we should probably close it out here. <laughs> I guess so. And and based on, you know, our, our good friend Joe Chung's uh, suggestion, maybe we need to have a pre-recorded outro here instead of having to do one ourselves off the cuff. Want more travel banter? Become a Milanomics Patreon member and join the conversation with many other Miles and Points aficionados. Thanks for listening.